I'm going to tip my hand a little bit this morning, but our God really is great, isn't he? And it's, when you boil it down, it's really all about Jesus. So we got some uh, Olympics fans out here, yeah? Awesome. Um, how many of you have ever said this phrase? There is no way. Yeah, usually in regards to something like sports or if you watch the show America's Got Talent, um, maybe going to see a live show, maybe you've seen Cirque du Soleil or the circus or something like that, and you know these people make these claims of, I'm going to do this, and you're like, there is just no way that that's going to happen. And most of the time, they pull it off. Um, I've said that a few times. Uh, when Curran told me that he would be able to eat three four-by-fours in a single sitting, I said, there is no way. That's four patties, four pieces of cheese, per burger. And uh, sure enough, he pulled it off. There's no way, I, I said, but, but he was able to do it. Um, whenever you watch the Olympics, you, you, you've got that same kind of thing, like there is no way. When you watched in 2008, you're like, there is no way that Michael Phelps will be able to pull off eight gold medals. And sure enough, he did. And then if you've uh, been watching him at all, like through the Olympic trials or whatever, you know, we, we entered with this mindset of there is no way that he could ever be beaten. And he has. And it's just like this, this crazy thing. Um, but uh, this idea of there is no way, I mean, it, it, it even relates to, to, to watching people grow up, you know, and seeing someone that you knew as an infant or you knew as a toddler or whatever, and, and now they're, they're going off to college or, you know, now they're coming and babysitting your kids or uh, whatever it may be, and, and you just watch these people grow, and you're like, there is no way that they are at this point. There is no way that, that, that they have grown this much. But also sometimes it's, it's, it's a disappointing phrase as well. I remember the first time uh, Micah lied to us, and, and I just thought in my mind, like, there is no way that he just did that. My, my sweet, innocent little boy just looked at me and knowingly lied to my face. <laughs> I wish that was the only time. <laughs> and I know it won't be the last. Um, but boy, it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart when you hear about a friend of yours that, that just got arrested or, or someone that you knew or cared about just got caught in adultery. And you just go, there is no way. And it just tears you up. So today, uh, we're going to be looking at this phrase, impossible reality. If you've got one of these uh, uh, little handouts that you were given, uh, pull that out. Uh, there's some space on the front just to, to jot some things down, but we've got some blank fill-ins. I know some of you like to fill in blanks. Uh, so on the back, we've got lots of blank fill-ins and, and uh, bullet points for you to fill out and stuff like that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but today, specifically, we're looking at the impossible reality of our words, or as James refers to it, the tongue. In fact, this topic is hugely important to James, uh, 
as, as we've been going through James, I've been reading and just listening to it and just pouring through it time after time after time. And uh, one of the exercises I did, and if you want to go home and do this, this would be uh, really cool for you, is I went through the book, and every time James mentioned speech or the tongue or uh, referenced something that you're saying or something that's coming out of your mouth, I, I circled it. And as I went through, I, I made over 50 circles and made circles in every single chapter. See, as, as a lot of people look at James, they, they focus on the text that we're going to be looking at today and the text that Dave talked about last week because it's this text about taming the tongue. But that's not the only time that James talks about it. In fact, it's riddled uh, throughout his book. For example, in chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask, Right? Or, when tempted, no one should say. Or, uh, in chapter 2, when he's talking about favoritism, if one of you says to him. Or, in, uh, in chapter 4, or chapter 5, actually, as it is, you boast and brag. And then he says, all such boasting is evil. And so throughout the book, he's talking about the tongue, talking about how it's used, talking about uh, how to be careful with it, how to guard it, um, and it, it just continues to go on. He has an intense focus on our words. If you got your Bible with you, open up to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and that's where we're going to be hanging out today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one uh, hopefully in front of you or close to you, uh, poke a neighbor. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, please take that one home. We'd, we'd love to, to let you have it. That's our gift to you. Uh, but in James chapter 3, verse 2, which Dave talked about last week, James says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Like I said, James has an intense focus on our words. And he points this out to, to make the point that, man, the tongue is, is huge. I mean, think about this. We, we try not to sin, but we all mess up. And what are the two biggest battlegrounds that we fight on a daily basis? What are the two main avenues for sin to enter our lives? The mind and the mouth. If you think about it, those are the two main ways that you sin on a daily basis. And the same is true of me. It's not hard to remember the last time you said something that you shouldn't have. So let's dive into this passage, take a look at what James has to say. Uh, today we're in James chapter 3 and we're looking at verses 7 to 12. It says this, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. God, I ask that uh, as we investigate your word, as, as we look at what you're wanting to point out to us, God, I pray that 
we keep our focus on you. I pray that we come with humble hearts, not with arrogance or an, an idea of, oh, I've heard this before, but God, a, an idea of, man, God, just teach me this morning. God, please teach me as, 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 as I'm up here. And uh, God, as I speak, let my words be yours and not mine. Thank you so much, God, just for this opportunity. Thank you for uh, a place we can do this in. Thank you for the freedom that we have uh, to be able to talk about this and, and not worry, um, God, about being arrested or, 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 or being stopped. And we pray for those this morning, God, that are worshiping in other places, God, that are fearing for their lives as they worship you. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. And God, let us have that same intensity and passion for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So impossible reality. That's what we're looking at. And we're going to look at two impossible realities today. Uh, the first one we're looking at, this is your first blank fill-in, taming the untamable. Taming the untamable. Again, in verses 7 and 8, he says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So he says right here, it is impossible for men to tame the tongue. It is impossible. Well, why is it impossible? He gets into that. He gets into why it's impossible. He says, first of all, that it is a restless evil. It is a restless evil. Um, <clears throat> have you ever tried to control a three-year-old loaded with sugar? This is someone that is restless. And the amazing thing is, is our son Micah, like he doesn't even need the sugar. He's, he's still restless on his own anyways. I mean, just yesterday, uh, Laura and I were, were sitting on the couch and, and Micah's uh, facing us. And, and he's just doing this. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Back and forth. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Just like constant. And this went on for like five minutes. Just go, go, go. And just, it was entertaining to him. He had no reason to do it except just to like get some energy out, apparently. Uh, he, he's a restless kid and he just continues to go. And, and, and telling him to, to sit still and, and be quiet is impossible. Now, some of you that are parents know that 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 TV uh, oftentimes is is an aid to that. You know, like let's get the kids to sit down and relax, and, and let's put them in front of a TV, and that works for Micah for about five to ten minutes, and then he's uh, jumping up and down in his seat and and moving around and squirming while he's watching the show, and we're just like, okay, well, we got to pray for him. Pretty soon, I, when he saw the cast, he's like, Dad, I want a cast just like yours. I'm like, no, you don't. But you're probably going to get one at some point. Uh, sad to say. <laughs> restless. A restless evil. Um, and and the, the Bible talks a lot about the tongue as a restless evil. Uh, last year for my Bible reading, I went through Psalms and Proverbs. I read the Psalms twice uh, in the year, and Proverbs I read 12 times in the year. And as I just dove into Proverbs, I, I, I saw and was just refreshed by the amount of wisdom in that book. And Solomon has a lot to say about our tongue. Let me just read you a few verses 
just pointing to the idea of a restless tongue. In Proverbs 10.10, he says that a chattering fool comes to ruin. In Proverbs 10.13, three verses later, he says, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. In other words, who keeps his mouth going. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Or Proverbs 13.3, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Or Proverbs 17, 27, and 28. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And in 17, 28, one of my favorites. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Or, as has been attributed to many different people, it is better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. A restless tongue gets you into trouble. Constant talking gets you into trouble. The more words that are coming out, the more likely it is that there's going to be a word that is spoken that shouldn't be. A comment that is made that probably should have been held back. And for some of us, that's a big challenge. Myself included. In third grade, I uh, got in a lot of trouble for talking in class. My teacher sat me down uh, and, and and I would just turn and talk. Uh, you know, I was sitting next to some of my friends, so just talk, 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 talk. So she, uh, so she moved me and, and sat me next to people that I didn't like. Well, that didn't matter. I just turned and I talked to them. Talk, 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 talk. So she moved me like more towards the back of the classroom. And uh, that was back by where like some of the kids were taking their typing lessons. So I'd turn around and talk to them. Oh, which one are you working on? Oh, I already did that one. Oh, man, blah, 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 blah. And so she moved me into a corner all by myself. And I just kept on talking. I just talked to myself out loud in class. I had this horrible problem. I had a restless tongue. And it's something that I continue to fight with. And I've said so many things that I, that I wish I could take back. And I'm learning slowly, just more and more. Ben, shut your mouth. Ben, zip it. Not only is it restless, but it's a restless evil. And uh, in, in Job, uh, one of his friends is talking about this. He's pointing out how, how it's been on earth since man was first created. He says, Though evil is sweet in his mouth and he hides it under his tongue, though he cannot bear to let it go and keeps it in his mouth, yet his food will turn sour in his stomach. It will become the venom of serpents within him. And in Psalm 10.7, it's talking about the wicked man, and it says, His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. So it's not just James that is pointing out this idea of an evil tongue, but rather it's throughout Scripture. So not only is it a restless evil, which makes it impossible to tame, but it's also full of deadly poison. Full of deadly poison. Let me just list off some of the poison that our tongue spews forth. Gossip. Slander. 
lies, deception, hate, discouragement, racism, prejudice, sarcasm. All these things are poison. All these things are deadly towards other people. In fact, in Proverbs 28, 19-20, it says, Like a madman shooting firebrands and deadly arrows is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Such a uh, convicting passage has really just made me think about what I speak. When we toss our words around carelessly, we never know who they could hurt. And what else makes it impossible to tame? It's within our nature. It's built in. Yeah, in the beginning of this passage, when it's talking about all these animals, birds, reptiles being tamed by man, it's saying human nature has tamed beastly nature. Human nature has controlled beastly nature. But human nature is also what causes us to run our tongue. And our human nature in and of itself cannot control the tongue. We didn't have to teach Micah to lie. We didn't have to teach him to talk back. We didn't have to teach him to be rude. We didn't have to teach him to be disrespectful. He was able to figure that out on his own. Human nature cannot tame the tongue. However, it's a beautiful word, right? However. What makes this seemingly impossible thing a reality? Well, here's the beauty. First of all, we are new creations in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's a verse that many of you have heard multiple times. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But it says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has a relationship with Christ, if anyone has surrendered themselves to Christ, then they are a new creation. In fact, if you go back a couple of verses, it says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If you are in Christ, if you are a new creation, if you have surrendered your life, if you have given it over to him, you're new, you're different, you're no longer living for yourself, you're no longer bound. So you're free. And through Christ, in Christ, you are able to tame the untamable. Second, Jesus makes it possible. Jesus makes it possible. He points this out in, in Matthew 19. He says that with God, all things are possible. And in Philippians 4.13, it says that I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Jesus makes it possible to tame the untamable tongue. On our own, we are helpless. On our own, we are unable. On our own, we are lost. But Jesus makes it possible. 
There may be some of you out here that this is the first you've heard of Jesus. And maybe you want to know more about what it means to live for Him. Or maybe you've been on the fence about following Jesus. Or maybe you've been excusing away your behavior. Maybe you've been excusing away your speech and just going, hey man, that's how everybody talks. Or, you know what, God will forgive me, or whatever it may be. You know, I'd love to talk to you more afterwards about what it really means to live for Jesus. I just invite you to, to, to come and talk to me about that. I'm continually reminded about how much I need Him. Without Jesus, I'd be a wreck. Without Jesus, my tongue would just be off on its own. This life is all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. So that's the first impossible reality, taming the untamable on our own, absolutely helpless. With Jesus, it's possible. Impossible reality number two, praises and curses. Praises and curses. So what's impossible about this? One mouth, two voices. Out of one mouth, there are two different voices coming out. In verse 9, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. In verse 10, it says, Out of the same mouth. And in Greek, the word tongue in verse 9, and the word same in verse 10, it's the same word. It's the same word used in Greek. So with the very same tongue, is how you can read it. With the very same tongue, we are praising our Lord and Father and cursing men. One mouth. Two voices coming out. Two different things. And he compares it. One spring, out of one spring coming two different waters. Out of one plant coming two different fruits. Now sure, we've got this whole thing about grafting and you know you can do that, but if left to nature, that just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. So it's impossible. One mouth, out of one mouth coming two different voices. What else is impossible? One target, two faces. One target, two faces. And let me explain that. It says here, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. We're praising our God. And then it says, and with it we curse men. And he points out who have been made in God's likeness. So here we are praising our God, yet we're cursing his image. We're praising our God, yet we're cursing his image. In Proverbs 17.5 it says, he who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. He who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. When you're mocking other people, when you're cursing other people, that's indirectly cursing towards God. You're coming after the Creator. And we know the passage in Matthew 25, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So here we are, feeling like, man, okay, you know, and, and maybe this goes through your head, maybe it doesn't. But somehow it's okay to praise God 
and then turn around and be brutal with our words towards his creation. We're viewing them wrong. Maybe we're not wrapping our head around the picture that, man, this is the image of God. This is someone that God is crazy about. I know it's easy for me when I'm not thinking that way, especially when I'm driving, just to get angry at people. But man, as I'm driving, if I start thinking about each person in each car, that's someone that God's nuts about. That's someone that God created. That's someone that, that God formed in their mother's womb. I need to treat that person differently. That's the image of God. One target, two faces. It's impossible. Here's the reality of this idea of praises and curses. First of all, fruit speaks. Fruit speaks. Jesus uses this uh, analogy a lot. In Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37, he says this, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let me read that again. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Are you ready to give an account for every careless word you've spoken? For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words will be condemned. Weighty. Weighty words from Jesus. In Proverbs 13 it says, for, the fr- for from the fruit of his lips a man enjoys good things, but the unfaithful have a craving for violence. And earlier in Matthew, uh, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. We've been uh, using this kind of Western theme as we've been going through James, and, and uh, every week we've been sharing a little bit of cowboy wisdom, or like we, uh, we, we like to call cowboy's dumb. And, and here's your cowboy's dumb for this week. It doesn't take a genius to spot a goat in a flock of sheep. It doesn't take a genius to spot a goat in a flock of sheep. The words that come out of your mouth allow people a picture into who you really are. Allow people to get an idea of of who you are, of where you're at. So think about the things that are coming out of your mouth because that is communicating to other people, this is who I am. And so if someone says that they're one way and then you see how they act and see what they say, on a regular basis, and those two don't match up, doesn't take a genius to figure out, that's not who they are. This is who they really are. I know. 
doesn't take a genius to spot a goat in a flock of sheep. So let me ask you this question. What does your fruit say about you? What are you showing other people? The, the words that come out of your mouth, the way you talk on a daily basis, the way you interact with your spouse, the way you interact with your children, the way you interact uh, with your parents, siblings, those that are closest to you. What does that say about you? Fruit speaks. And here's another reality. We need to praise right. We need to praise right. Here James is saying, look, we've got two different things going on here. We're praising our Lord and Father, and we're cursing men. This shouldn't be. In the Greek, it's, 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 a, it's an even stronger word. This cannot be. This is not okay. Cannot be. So I was thinking about this, and I was like, man, this has got to come from somewhere. Why do we have this apparent duality? Well, for many, it's simply a struggle with our sin nature. But maybe for some of you, the issue is deeper than that. Maybe it's more than just like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I, I, I really genuinely am praising God, but, you know, like, I, I slip up sometimes. I really make some mistakes. But maybe the issue is deeper. Maybe possibly, first of all, your praise is insincere. Maybe your praise is insincere. In Matthew 6, 5, it says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have, Lucas, they have received their reward in full. That's it. They're there to be seen. It's not about a relationship with God. It's like, hey, look at me. Look at how great of a worshiper I am. Man, I raised my hands this morning. Did you guys see that? That's pretty cool, right? That means I'm close to God. Maybe our praise is insincere. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus says that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are from are far from me. So let me ask you this question. Is your praise sincere? Is your praise sincere? That may be an important thing for you to evaluate, especially if you find yourself often just running your mouth at people. And then you come to church and sing songs and talk about how good God is. There's some inconsistency there. Where is that coming from? Are you really serious about your praise? Are you really serious about your connection with God? Are you being sincere? Or are you just kind of going through the motions? Another possibility is that you're misunderstanding praise. This Greek word here in the passage, when it praise... It's, uh, and I'm going to butcher this for, for the Greek experts out here. It's eulogia or eulogia. And uh, it basically means extolling of another or praise. And that's where we get the word eulogy. 
So if you think about a eulogy, that's where people get up and talk about a person and talk about how great that person was and talk about the wonderful things that that person did. And that's what praise should be to God, is getting up and, and, and giving him the honor that he's due and giving him the glory that he deserves. And as we dive into the scriptures and really start to understand more about praise, really start to wrap our heads around this idea of worship, we find that it's a lot more than just words. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, your word is nothing if there isn't love behind it. We just uh, talked about in James chapter 2, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. If your praise does not have actions behind it, if your worship doesn't match up with your lifestyle, there's something wrong there. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 Talk about the idea of being reconciled before you come and offer your praise to God. Or you come and bring your offering before God. He says, look, if you've got an issue with somebody, go and deal with that first. Then come and praise. He doesn't want that inconsistency there. And the same kind of ideas is talked about in 1 Corinthians 11 when uh, Paul says that a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. He says, look, I want your worship, but I want your worship when your heart is right. I want your worship when you are good before me, that we're okay. I want us to be okay. I want you to go and deal with the business that you got to deal with so that you can come and worship me truly. A lot of us misunderstand this idea of praise and limit it to just singing and limit it to just songs or whatever it may be. But it's so much more than that. Worship is so much more than songs and words. So let me ask you this question. Is your praise from the heart? Is your praise from the heart? Is it deep within you? Is it something that, man, my, my heart just beats this way. I'm just passionate about Jesus that I can't help but let my life show it. Because your praise should be all about Jesus. We sing this song uh, sometimes called The Heart of Worship. And it says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within to the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. That's what God desires when we come to him, when we worship him. And maybe the, this, these praises and curses that are coming out are because we just have forgotten that we need those two to align. We need our, our life and our worship to be one and the same. Your praise should be all about Jesus. Your life should be all about Jesus.
And he is what makes the impossible reality. There's this guy, Rich Mullins. He was a Christian artist. Passed away a little more than 10 years ago. Um, He was quite a poet. And uh, he wrote some lyrics that were very cutting to the heart. And uh, just recently I had started re-listening to his music again. And this song just smacked me upside the head. And I wanted to read you some of the lyrics. He says, There's more that dances on the prairies than the wind. More that pulses in the ocean than the tide. There's a love that is fiercer than the love between friends. More gentle than a mother's with her babies at her side. And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiments. And a music higher than the songs that I can sing. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things. And the chorus says this, So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. I hope you hear this heartbeat that Rich Mullins had. He's like, it's all about Jesus. This life, everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we live, like, eh, all of it is all about Jesus. And that's all that should matter. Nothing else matters but Jesus. Nothing else matters but Jesus. So this idea of praising and cursing starts to fade away. This impossibleness starts to become reality as you focus on Christ. This idea of an untamable tongue starts to fade away as you focus on Christ. As you really surrender your life to Him and allow your words to be His. Let me pray. God, I... just ask, God, that you really examine our lives. Allow us to really look into where we're at. God, allow us to see truthfully what's going on in our hearts. God, the the impossibleness of us praising you and then turning and, and cursing people just treating them brutally with our words. God, that's not what you've asked of us. That's not how it should be. And yet somehow it is. God, let that not be the case. Let our words be be evidence of our love and passion for you and let the way that we treat others show them how much we desire to praise you. And God, as we enter into this, uh, this time of worship and of standing up and practicing to use our words in a way that honors you, 
to use our words to praise you, God, let it be from the heart. Let it not be because we're supposed to or because uh, it's just something that everyone around us is doing. But God, let that be out of a deep desire and a deep passion to give you what you deserve. Thank you for taking things that are seemingly impossible and making them reality through your death on the cross. It's impossible that we could be viewed as holy, and yet you've made that a reality. God, James says that on our own, it's impossible for us to tame our tongue, and yet you've made that a reality. It's an impossible idea that that both praise and cursing come out of our mouths. But God, it becomes a reality when we're not right with you. It becomes a reality when our, our, our praise is, is not right. So God, help us to praise right. And in these next moments, God, let us just surrender everything that's been going on. God, let us surrender our, our words in the past and our words that we're going to speak even as we walk out of here, even in the next couple minutes. God, as we stand up and give you praise, let it be deep and from the heart. And let us remember that it is all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.